Welcome to a special edition of the Truth of the Matterverse podcast. I am your host, Jonathan, and I'm here with our special guest. But before we introduce and welcome him in appropriately, let's begin by recognizing and appreciating all of our new and consistent listeners. We thank you all in advance for continuing to press play at your own convenience. Now, if you're a first-time listener, we want you to know that the Truth of the Matter is podcast is all about providing an honest, contextual, historized, philosophical, and psychological view of the Bible through the use of hermeneutics while sharing some personal experiences from myself, Daniel, and any guests that we're having on. We believe in applying God's word to everyday life. Now, today we will praise God for another new testimony that we will hear. We hope after hearing this man of God and his journey, that you will be encouraged and uplifted. We hope that also you will see how an encounter with Jesus Christ will guarantee that your life will not be the same. Now, without further ado, let's invite our special guest in. Johnny Sanders, how are you doing this morning? I'm I'm doing great. It's it's an honor to be on this morning. Thank you, thank you. God bless you. What would you say is the interesting thing that's happened to you in the last couple of weeks that you feel like sharing? Yeah. So this is actually that's actually a really good question for this time of my life. Um, so I have my own. I've had my own counseling practice going on for a while, but um, that's been. I've been slowly kind of building it up and it's still not able to be my only source of income, but it's getting enough now to where I am. I'm independent, so I don't have I'm not actually employed. This is fairly common in the counseling world where you contract with different organizations. Well, I pre- I just left. It, it's been about two weeks ago um, that I left my full time job and I've been contracting with some places and really working on growing my own counseling practice. So it's been a mixture of uh, kind of gratitude, um, exciting, a little bit of fear and, and uh, anxiety just kind of leaping out like that but it's been a great blessing I, I've really have enjoyed that independence and um, I've been able to spend a little bit more time with the kiddos and things like that so it, it's actually been a fantastic last couple of weeks alright cool can't wait to get into that so here's a biography of Johnny Sanders so Johnny Sanders is a licensed professional counselor in Oklahoma and Texas He's the owner of the Christian Counseling Practice, Truth and Grace Counseling. Johnny's also host of the podcast, Faithful Engaged. And Johnny interviews guests on Faithful Engaged who are engaging in culture instead of living in anger and apathy. Could you explain that a little bit before we jump in? Yeah, yeah. So um, the the start of the the podcast a faithfully engaged um it's actually as of this recording has not fully launched yet that will launch on uh june 12th monday june 12th and that is an, a further extension of the truth and grace counseling podcast which is what it is currently under and truth and grace counseling was just my um kind of the the genesis of my uh, counseling practice, and I'm sure we can get a little bit more in depth into that, but I made my own podcast for it really just to kind of advertise the the counseling practice, and it's been great. I have loved it, but um, it's kind of evolved into its own thing. 
So I wanted to make Faithfully Engaged to be its own separate podcast. And I'm pretty upfront with my value system. I I certainly come from a definitely a Christian worldview. Um, I tend to um, definitely according to to more worldly standards come from a more um, conservative type of worldview as well. I definitely put that underneath the the Christian. Um, the Christian worldview is definitely the kind of the top filter there. But I've noticed in podcast and those type of that type of sphere, um, there's certainly great podcasts like this one that are that are out there. But I see so much that's like man, did you see what happened in in the world today? Did you see this happen? And it's all bad things. And don't get me wrong. I think that's important to look at those issues and to realize, okay, like, yeah, there, there are specific things that I need to be aware of and specific traps and things like that. So I'm not advocating to dig your head in the sand and, and in fact, quite the opposite. What I don't want to do is just hear those events and then just man, I, I hate this. I hate the world. I hate everything around me. And I'm just angry. Like, I don't think that really does anything for us. I'd rather us hear those events, hear these struggles going on and do something about it. Um, it and there's going to be some times where you can't do anything about it. And if that's the case, then we need to, to try to learn to let some of those things go and focus on what I can do. So, on Faithfully Engaged, I have guests on from uh, varying walks of life, and, and they're doing that. They're not just saying what's going wrong in the world. They're, they're doing something to, to engage it, um, and they don't always have all the right answers, but, but they're trying. So that's kind of yeah. the basis of the show is to, to really spur people, particularly a Christian audience, towards action and, instead of apathy. All right. Sounds good. All right. So before we get started and dive a little bit more into that, and I'm sure other topics, we on the Two for the Matters podcast, engage in prayer. So we're going to do that first. Okay. So, oh God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you said for there, where there are two or three in your name, meeting together as your followers, you are there among them. So Lord, we invite you into our conversation. We thank you for it's the opportunity that you've given me and Johnny to fellowship with one another. Lord, even though we don't know each other personally, we have one thing in common, and that is we have a relationship with you, and that makes us a part of one body, and that's the body of believers. Truth in the Matters podcast appreciates the time he has set aside to provide us with his personal testimony. Lord, I pray that having this conversation with Johnny will open the door to all hearts and minds, saved and unsaved, to be active, to be intentional, and to pursue you at whatever stage in life that they're in. Lord, we know that you love you. Lord, we know that you love them and care for them. And therefore, as a result of that, you will not stop chasing them. You will pursue them at all matters, even if it's through a podcast like this one. So we thank you for this platform that you've given us. Lord, open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and minds to understand. Let all who are listening be blessed with a different perspective of life and with you in it. Lord, we say these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so Johnny, let me first start by asking you, where are you from? Sure thing. Um, I am actually currently where I grew up in, which is Duncan, Oklahoma. Um, And if 
those in the audience aren't sure about about Oklahoma or anything, I, I'm sure most of you know where Texas is. So we're just north of of Texas, and I'm actually not that far from Texas. I'm, I'm roughly uh, about an hour or so drive drive north. Um, the Red River is kind of the big divider there. Um, so yeah, Southern Oklahoma is kind of where I was born and raised. And here in the last five years or so, I moved back there. I, I lived in the Oklahoma City Metro for a while after college. But um, yeah, my wife and uh, I've got two kiddos that are out uh, out and about in the world. I got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And then I've got another child. His name um, is Isaac that will be out in, in August, um, due at the okay. end of August. So we all live here in Duncan, Oklahoma. Okay. Just out of curiosity, how far are you away from Transformation Church with Michael Todd? I'm not entirely sure. Could could you remind me where okay. that's located at? That's like Tusca, Oklahoma. You know, it, I I'm not entirely sure. I've heard of mm. that. Um, there are so many little towns in Oklahoma. Um, okay. That I when when there's a in Oklahoma, you you hear all those little towns when you. Uh, when there's a tornado or something, because they say there's a tornado near Tusca, Oklahoma, and they're like, "Oh, where's that at?" And anyways, I'm not entirely sure where that that's located. Oh, okay. At, actually, okay, I only asked that because yeah, like when I think of Oklahoma, and I think of churches, that's like the only church I'm familiar with with the area. So I thought maybe okay. you were either you you know of the church or you're not too far from it. But obviously, uh, it's not a good question, at least when it comes to that. <laughs> So it was worth the try. Sometimes you just you just ask these questions. Okay. Sure. So let me ask you, how did you how did you find your faith in Jesus Christ? Were you raised that way? Was it something that you discovered later on in life or teenager college student? Yeah, no, great question. And this is something that I um kind of struggled with when I was younger and later I really felt convicted um about this. So I grew up in a Christian family um and uh, like I said, I'm, I'm living now in my hometown. My parents live five minutes away from me. Um, so grew up in church, um, was always really important for us. Um, we we kind of had more of a, a Baptist background. So we're, we're mostly in Baptist churches and, um, I don't remember exactly what, um, led to, like if there's a specific sermon where I really felt convicted afterwards or what, um, but I was six years old and I just remember talking with my parents like, Hey, like this, this Jesus guy, like I, um, I believe this. I I, I want this faith in Christ. I, I want to, I re- recognize that I have sins and I, I need to be saved. And I, I was six, so I didn't have the the perfect words, but I think that's the beauty of, of salvation is you, you don't need the perfect words. And all I know is that it was real. Um, and at that young age, when I grew up, um, went into, you know, teenage years and even into early adulthood. So I, I kind of almost felt bad about my testimony because I didn't have a, oh, I was doing drugs and then God saved me and all these like miraculous things that happened. and. I kind of struggled with that for a while, and as I've grown, as I've matured, I've realized that, for one, that's a very selfish mindset to have. Um, like when I 
get salvation, I, I should be grateful for that, not not look at a, a huge moment to happen. But I also look back and realize all of the moments um, of my life that things could have gone a completely different direction. Um, and since I had that saving faith at such a young age, I, I really felt that that protection, um, God's protection over my life. And I think that is as big of a testimony as anything of the pitfalls that I have been prevented by, not because of my own uh, actions or well-doing, but because of Christ. And that has really sunk into me, especially being married and having kids. Like I'm so grateful to have them in my life. And I don't, some of the paths that could have been taken, I don't think would have would have happened um, had I not been saved at that young age. So yeah, it happened when yeah. I was six. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you say that because, you know, in the book of Hosea chapter four, it speaks about how my people are destroyed for lack of wisdom. And I think a lot of people is the tendencies that most tend to have is that you're supposed to go through these, you know, horrific hardships. But the whole point of God leaving his word here is so that we can gain access to it and do have an access to it. We can prevent some of the mistakes that are made because we're exposed to the warnings ahead of time. And what tends to be, you know, celebrated and almost always appreciated and recognized for a lot of people is they talk about all the hardship they've gone through. And, and I would say, you know, at least to your story that some people have to go through a lot of different things because that's God trying to reach them until they get to a certain point where it's to a degree where it's really bad. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, you know, we have access to God and we don't always have to go through the worst of times to get access to God. We know that Jesus says in this life, you will face tribulations and hardships, but be a good chair I've overcome the world. We understand that. That's going to happen inevitably. Like we can't avoid hardships. But what we can avoid is some of the mistakes that you can make at a young age into your adulthood that God is trying to shield you from. And I think what it is is when people hit bottom, then all of a sudden their God has their attention. Like God can reach them there because they're mm-hmm. broken, they're wounded, they're in a place where they have nowhere else to go. But for you recognizing and appreciating your value in terms of how God sees you and what he wants for you in your life, and you tap into that earlier, it I think you're, you're doing it justice, right? I think we all have different stories, walks of life, mm-hmm. and how we encounter Christ, right? There's no perfect story, right? We're all broken and wounded, all placed in the same category with Romans 3.23 when he talks about all oh, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I just think in your circumstance, and I would say it's mine's, We've recognized God's protection, grace, and mercy earlier, and therefore we don't have these stories of God having to bring us through the dirt and through the mud for us to recognize His love and grace over our lives. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that's that definitely gets undervalued and underappreciated. And I don't think God wants us to suffer, right? He <laughs> He said. He didn't call us to suffering, but to experience salvation and grace and mercy, right? So I think a lot of those, you know, the stories that we hear is usually what moves a lot of us. But it just shows us that no matter how what terrible situation and circumstance we're in, God has the abilities to make us whole again. Yeah. So 
Yeah. So that leads me to ask you, you know, this question. When you got started reading your, your, your word, your Bible, what books or what books stood out to you that, that captured your attention that, that made you, you know, think deeply about, you know, God's word and, and, and about how you could start practicing or applying it to your life? Yeah, great question. Um, when I'm thinking back to my childhood, uh, two books really come to to mind. Uh, one was the book of Joshua. I think that you know, kind of being being strong and courageous are, are really two of the big themes Amen. there. And some of that, I think, is just because I, w- I was a young boy. I, I look at my, uh, my my son and daughter right now, and uh, you can already just kind of see the. The differences. My my daughter uh, quote likes to have uh, beautiful dresses. I got to put on my beautiful dress. She says that all the time. And my son is playing in the mud and throwing things everywhere. Like you, you just kind of see some of those differences at the young age. And I think when I was younger, um, that book of Joshua, and that's still today. But um, just there's so much action. Um, if if you look at it, uh, obviously it's. We, we believe that's God's holy word, but if you look at it purely as a uh, literary work, it's quite intriguing. There, there's just a lot of yeah. different, you know, steps going on there. So that always uh, spoke to me, kind of that that inner boy in me of, again, those themes of being strong and courageous. And um, that's something that's really has stuck with me, those themes throughout the years. The other book... Um, one of just my first ones was uh, was the book of James, and I still really love the book of James. It's just so it's so practical, um, you know, being being slow to anger, um, uh, making sure that your your tongue, even though it's a small part of your body, that it's not controlling all of you. Um, yeah. Just some really good, tangible um, things that that we all as Christians should be doing. And um, I also liked too, that that book was, uh, you know, kind of a lot of those epistles over there, fairly short. So I could read it and reread it and reread it. Um, and it, it wasn't quite as intimidating for me, particularly at a, at a younger age. So those two were really the first two books that tended to, to stick out for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the, your thoughts on Joshua because you know, that it's that period of time where, Moses is no longer in charge, and then there's a transition of leadership over to potentially an unknown man. Now we know Joshua is a, a man of war. We learn to come to understand that. But there's a there's a scripture in that that always gets me when God says, "So I was with Moses, so I will be with you." Mm-hmm. So there's this understanding that regardless who's in leadership or who's in charge, God and His power and His His influence and His stewardship still transfers over. And remember, at the time, people were weeping and upset of Moses' departure. And it was Joshua, like you said, who had to come out, be separate, and take courage, and take the lead, and lead the people to take the land, right? God said, I was giving it to you, but the result was, you got to go take it, right? So I, I, I love what you're saying about that. And James has always been an interesting one, because at least in my studies, A lot of people had problems with James because it was interfering with the whole concept of salvation. So when you talk about the practical aspect and then you talk about how James really inserts this idea of being practical. And in some senses, a lot of people are caught up in trying to tap into the spiritual aspects that God 
isn't always speaking direct to a spiritual aspect. Sometimes it's very practical, it's very philosophical. And James, like you said, provides such basic understanding, right? Show me your your faith and I'll show you my works, right? And yeah. people have real issues with that. And I'm glad it wasn't removed out of the 66 books that were added in, but it was something that I think we needed to see and un- and understand. So, you know, that leads me to, you know, when you grew up and you were deciding or you were pondering over what you were going to do in life and how you were going to be an agent, uh, ambassador, representative of Christ, what was it about counseling or was there anything else in contingent before you decided to do? Yeah, great question. So I... I'll kind of just walk through my journey here. I mentioned I grew up in Oklahoma, so I didn't know after I graduated high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I went to uh, I went to OU, University of Oklahoma, um, and was undecided. And I know a lot of freshmen are that way, but I truly just didn't know. So I was going there, just taking some basic classes, and I took a psychology class and. Um, I ironically was one of the classes that I struggled in the most, um, but I really enjoyed it. It it was intriguing to me, just some of the the concepts um, that some of your listeners may be aware of, uh, like one of the kind of common ones that we talked about in uh, the intro psychology class was was Pavlov's dog, which was, you know, basically this uh, behavioral study that uh, you ring a bell and you uh, feed the dog food. Eventually, you take the food away, but still ring the ring the bell. The dog salivates, thinks it's going to get food, and I just thought that was interesting. Um, that in con- conjunction with um, in my friend groups, I tended to be the one that, like, say, if there were uh, three of us and uh, person A is mad at person C, and I'm person B there in the middle. I, I'm kind of the uh, the one that both them both of them come to me individually and and kind of vent through things. And that happened enough times that um, like okay, I I kind of naturally have that ability to to listen. Um, I, I think really God gifted me with that and, and to be attentive to somebody that's struggling with something. So that in conjunction with my um, enjoyment of uh, of psychology, I just really decided to to go into it and just took a few more classes, more counseling classes, and I just really enjoyed it. And kind of the, the rest is history at that point. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a question within that, 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 mm-hmm. that realm. Occam's theory, how do you correlate that with the existence of God? You know, I, I think that um, this actually really leads into more, not just with this question, but um, the concept of psychology in general. Um, there is there is such a minority of Christian thought in um, in the psychology profession. Uh, I think a lot of that, the origins of it, you kind of had a Sigmund Freud type of person that um, had had much more of an atheistic type of worldview. And while that has been a struggle, um, kind of being a, a minority worldview thought in this field, 
I can look at other aspects of psychology and I kind of getting off the path here a little bit, but I, I'll look at something called CBT. So cognitive behavioral therapy. And that is something that is very, um, kind of goes back to like the book of James. It's very practical. It's what I like yeah. about it. It's how you're thinking about it, how you're feeling about it. What are you doing about it? And I can look at something when you break it down to a basic task like that. Um, you you can see where you can fit Christianity in that so incredibly well. So yeah. I, I'll look at, again, CBT, that concept of negative thinking, negative thoughts. And I th- I am thinking, oh, I failed this test. I'm dumb. I'm never going to achieve anything in life. That, that, that would be that negative thought in there. And for just the pure CBT, kind of the more uh, atheistic or, or kind of non-theistic worldview, it's, well, just think better about yourself and, and then you'll, you'll get there. And there's not, that's not like that's terrible. I, I don't think that's a bad approach, but it, it seems incomplete for me. Whereas we can look at that as believers. Oh, I'm stupid. I'm terrible. Like, okay, well, let's kind of dive that down. Like, what, what does the Bible say about you? What does God think about you? Y- you have worth not because of anything that you've done, um, yeah. but because God made you. And yeah. I, I know kind of, like I said, getting off the beaten path a little bit on this, but I just see these concepts where if you dig just a little bit deeper basically we we can't play the game of uh being trapped in from uh some of these different worldview questions because they want you to answer um oh like is there uh so you just believe some uh the kind of the joke atheistic answer is uh the the spaghetti monster in the sky you know kind of that that type of language and they get Uh you they trap you into some of these questions that are not they're not seeing the whole picture. Um, yeah. and, and I'm big on on truth. That's in my name, Truth and Grace Counseling. Uh-huh. So dig deeper. What does truth mean? Uh, we're, we're going through the book of John in, uh, in our church right now. Pontius Pilate straight up asked, what is truth? I mean, these, these concepts have been around for a long time. So I'm much more into ask those questions. And at the end, um, I think God supersedes all of it. Um, he's He's not against psychology, but He's He's created that. So where um, where we are off path there is not because psychology is wrong, but because the humans that are interpreting it in that way are incorrect. So I've really just tried to find Christ in all of those little moments because I think He's involved in all of it. Yeah, I think. The misconception is that people don't realize that God has his hand in his in human history. And we know he has his hand in human history is because we were created in his his image, the Imago Day. And just like God's a creator, we're like him in every way because we are creators. You know, one of yes. the things that I've said that I believe is that God created government. Government is usually attached to the Holy Spirit, and we created politics was just have an opinion. So those who say, oh, I don't have an, I'm not into politics. If you have an opinion, you're in politics. People don't realize that. But one of the things that you, you stated that I, I'm a, you know, a full proponent and a believer of 
is when you make a statement and you say that your desire and your heart is to seek God in everything, I believe God is in everything. Whether we want to separate it or not, I believe he's the creator and the co-founder of ideas that people are now discovering and, and walking into or running into, right? And and one of those things is, for me, I majored in philosophy. So some people think philosophy is diametrically opposed and musically exclusive. That's not true. If if you go to the book of Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But people get caught up in the translation from the English. Fear just means reverence, respect. You know, this devotion, this commitment to God, right? So I can still believe in the idea of seeking out truth, but do it under the context and the umbrella of God's word, mm-hmm. right? When we look at Isaiah and he says, come, let us reason together. God is open to the possibility of reasoning. We see that with Abraham in a discussion about God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And he talked about finding righteous men mm-hmm. or righteous people in the city. <laughs> reasoning <laughs> with God, right? And it shows that God is open to the discussion and the possibility of engagement. That's why our whole relationship with God is found off of this idea of the back and forth and the commitment. And the more you read God's word, the more you get an understand on how he operates, how he maneuvers, how things get processed through the chances and the opportunities that he has. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, on this podcast, one of the discussions I said is we like to see the word of God through different lenses, and one of them is psychology. And the first one that came to mind is when you were talking was the story in with Solomon. And the two women came to him, and one said, that's my son, and they talked about the death of one son. And then what Solomon said, well, if I cut this baby in half and give you one and give you one, right? And immediately we saw one regardless of whether or not it was her son or not, she cared for the life. Mm-hmm. And the other one was more selfish. And that was his ability to weasel out the, not just the inconsistency in the story, but the dishonesty, right? So we, we see there's elements in psychology throughout Jesus and his conversations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So it's, it's really interesting that people have decided to, you know, view the world and its knowledge and information separate from God, where mm-hmm. God is consistently involved in everything. And whether Absolutely. or not they want to appreciate it or not, sometimes he's just not speaking. But it doesn't mean he isn't influencing, he isn't inspiring, he isn't motivating, and he isn't a part of it, right? And, and the reason why I asked you about Occam's theory, the reason why I was asking is because we know, at least for me, when I look at Occam's theory, it's the obvious. The obvious is usually the answer. And mm-hmm. I think about, you know, when you think about psychology, when you think about people, atheists, it's harder to resist God than to believe in God. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. like, like you, you have to do a lot to resist God. And it's much easier. And then they all turn around philosophically and say, oh, that's just lazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's just lazy, right? So yeah, there was something you was gonna say. No, that, I think that's a great point. And mm-hmm. when you look at, um, and this kind of gets into a different discussion point of, yeah, really why I, I've I've even kind of used the the 
kind of inflammatory language of of coming out and my my counseling practice of of being Christian of of really fighting against some of these worldviews that are in psychology. Um, the big one, which I'm sure most of your audience is at least somewhat aware of this controversy, it's just everywhere right now, is is gender affirming care. That's that's the big yeah. one. Um, there are plenty of other battles in psychology that um, can and, and should be fought, but that's the one that's, for one, it's striking a chord with people because people that aren't Christian, people that aren't, that are very liberal on pretty much everything. Like, but, but I know what a man is. I know what a woman is. <laughs> and, yeah. and yeah. that's that same concept right there. It is, you have to jump through way more hoops to say, well, I had this surgery. I did these hormones. I did X, Y, Z. So therefore that makes me a man makes me a woman or even further than that. Um, there's also, uh, pronoun usage that goes it's one thing uh, i and this is kind of a, a danger of mine sometimes that mm-hmm. i i try to do my best to understand the other person's approach i think that's a good thing um because i want to use their best argument um yeah but it does get me uh kind of going back to faithfully engaged it gets me into that apathetic angry mindset sometimes if i go too far um yeah. and it's like my head just hurts after a while, but yeah, you go deeper. It's not just, okay, I identify as a woman. So now I, I'm Johnny. I'm going to call myself she, her or whatever. I can disagree with that, but I can mm-hmm. understand what well, I'm identifying as a woman. So that at least somewhat makes sense to me. Again, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you, but what really doesn't make sense, this goes way deeper is Zer or they them all all these other ones like yeah. that doesn't even make sense um and i'm not <laughs> trying to like be flamboyant or or being uh you know really rude like it just it doesn't make sense yeah. and like you're saying there it makes way more sense to say well god created them male and female like that that's not difficult to understand mm-hmm. um i mm-hmm. i told you just my own experience with my my son and daughter Mm-hmm. it's pretty uh, pretty apparent there and it takes me way more faith to yeah believe that zizer is a healthy appropriate pronoun mm-hmm. but in my in my field that's being more pushed upon i'm i'm the one that is really out of left field and mm-hmm. that's just not right so yeah. um that's that issue there specifically has really led me to be more proactive and more open about my beliefs in the psychology field mm-hmm. and while it's met with resistance it's also met with um quite a bit of approval and uh thanksgiving i i've had people from different yeah. states i've had counselors in different parts of the the country different parts of the world that like Thank you for saying something. And they're not even Christian half yeah. the time. It's just, this yeah. is a clear, blatant lie. And people are drawn towards truth. Um, and, and going back to Joshua, that strong and courageousness, people are drawn to that when you 
all right what and this isn't an opinion thing this is just very factual and yeah that it, you may face some of that discouragement or or people that are going against you but um it it's worth it because truth mm-hmm. is truth exactly you know i appreciate what you're saying as well and i think that can't be remiss it can't be ignored we can't overgloss it you know when i think of the antichrist and, and we think about the behavior and we think about the mindset that goes into the Antichrist. It's anything counterintuitive to the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Anything that challenges the status quo when it comes to what God has stated. And, you know, it's pretty simple for me, right? If we, Matthew, it talks about, and even in Genesis, it talks about God creating man and female. The philosopher in me laughs because there's certain things that are just principle that are direct, that are straightforward. And we so often choose to select texts where we want to reason that's way. I always say this, when I read scripture, I don't try to take scripture and align it with my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I try to take my lifestyle and align it with scripture because yeah. that's how we take things out of context. And even on the show, I speak about a healthy hermeneutic because the Bible itself you know, scripture interprets scripture. So if you look in one section of scripture and you see something is said once, if it's true, and if God intended it to be what it is, you're going to find another place in scripture. And, and I use it as an example. I'm a proponent and a believer that, you know, my commitment to God and Christ is not a religion, it's a relationship. A lot of people will say Christianity is a religion. And I would say, is that true? Well, for one, the idea that Jesus is a religious figure is not an idea he presented and, and said he was. He said he was a king. You go through the Gospels, he said he was a king. And obviously, in other Gospels, there's elements of him being a servant. So where do we get this religiosity that Christ is this religious figure? Never said he said he was a king. He obviously told Pilate, like you mentioned him earlier, that my kingdom is not of this world. That's what he said. And when we go through Old Testaments, right? So this is me understanding this 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 concept of relationship. We get an invitation in First John when he says in the beginning of chapter one that he's inviting us to a fellowship. A fellowship is a type of relationship. It said nothing about a religion. We understand that the the term Christian comes up in the book of Acts chapter 11, I believe it's verse 44, that that is the titling of what they called believers. But at the time, we were just called followers of Christ. So then we get this big umbrella of different sorts of Christians and then these different doctrines and these different embracements of tradition. But when we go back to the original concept of friendship, it's between God and Abraham. And God called him a friend. See, when we look at religion and the concept of religion, it's this belief of trying to align yourself up with rules. Mm-hmm. And Christianity is really just based upon, it has, you know, the Bible's full of patterns, principles, and precepts, right? And all of them are there to protect us, to guide us, to lead us, so that we can flourish to the best of our ability. But at least when I look at what God had with Abraham and 
how Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, I no longer call you strangers, but friends, because you know my father's business. A lot of that is open to a much more personal interaction than just stipulating religion, right? Mm -hmm. James talks about what good religion is, right? About taking care of widows and, you know, those who are uh, of need. But I think when we approach things from a relationship standpoint, it's a much more personal concept and therefore you're much more engaged rather than you're of this belief that if it's a religion, then you're doing all these set of practices, but how much are you really in to tapping into God from a heart issue, right? All relationships are really depending on how much you put into it. So prayer, fasting, fellowship, all those different things, whether it's corporate fellowship or it's one-on-one -on -one or it's, it's gathering, right? Anytime two or three, just gathering as a group is a form of church, right? That transition from a building to the individual person in the heart of the person. So when you look at all these different concepts, right, it is about evaluating, studying the word and being able to decipher the difference between the two. So when you get people get caught up in calling Christianity religion, they're looking at it from a worldly perspective, but the actual believer that's going day to day and really living these things out, and especially what James says, don't be just be here as a word, but do as a word. Mm -hmm. It's a much more practical and emotional, intentional relationship concept that I think can be adapted and embraced much more than a religion. And these are the things that we deal with when we, we're, we're discussing and talking to people that uh, have no idea. They're standing from the outside in, not understanding the process, that God is a God of process, regardless of where you are in life, and that these things are, you know, steps in the direction versus where God can say, I know you, I know you, I know your name, I know you, versus yeah. him saying, I never knew you, right? So that's just something I wanted to bring up, and these are battles and situations that I think when you're when you're talking to newfound believers and you you're discussing things with people that are interested but then don't know how to put it right i i'm yeah. i'm a, just a big proponent of going to the scriptures so that leaves me i want to make sure if there's any you want to comment on anything i said before i, I guess I, actually next question yeah. no i i think that's it really goes back into um that realizing that christ is like we mentioned before, ab above all. And in our culture, we do have that um, kind of tendency, even among believers, is, well, here is my work life, here is my home life, and here is my church life. And yeah. while there is some truth to that, that, you know, how I approach work is a little bit different than how I approach my family. Like, God did make these different spheres, but yeah. he, is, he is in all of those. You don't have a work personality that is just completely separate from the rest of you. No, like it needs to all be interrelated that way. And that doesn't mean that you have to have a have a ministry or, or be a pastor or whatever. Um, you can go be a banker, but go be a banker for Christ. And that's where that relationship factor comes in, that you can't lose that um intensity of that relationship and say oh well i'll go back to church on sunday and we'll, we'll make right and we'll get ready for the next week like no he's there every day um it, yeah. you just got to have that mm -hmm. mindset
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not. I say this too. It's not what you know; it's who you know, right? Mm-hmm. That that gets you into heaven. So whether you yeah. know you're, and and God is not up in heaven taking attendance on how often you show up to church, right? <laughs> Some people <laughs> think that God's out there. Oh, he missed this day and this day. Oh, oh, he did. He 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 fell short in tithes and offerings this week. God God is just not doing that. So this is a question that I really want to tap into. Because this yeah. definitely reached out. This definitely spoke to me. Does everyone need to be in counseling? My question. Fantastic question. I'm really glad that you asked this. And uh, th- this is one of those answers where, you know, we, we've kind of, as humans, we tend to swing side to side. And it seems to be... Uh, I don't know, 10 or so years ago, um, probably we didn't talk about mental health stuff enough, um, particularly in the church. Um, And I would probably be more tempted to say more people probably need to be in counseling than than are if they're really not dealing with things. But we've tended to swung on the complete opposite direction. Not that there's not merit to talk about mental health and and people going to counseling. That's fine. But we almost have this mindset that I stubbed my toe, something went wrong. Oh, I I need to go talk to a counselor about it. And you you don't have to for every little thing. And in fact, some people will go through a really big thing. They might have a a death in the family or um, some catastrophic medical event or something. And two people might experience that same thing and one is in really bad emotional distress and they could probably benefit talking to somebody talking to a counselor the other person they might have a, a really good strong network of um uh, of maybe their church is really supporting them or that they have some good friends and family that are helping them and they may not need it even though they went through the same situation so as a counselor, now it's better for me and my business to say, yeah, everybody needs counseling. But again, tr- truth matters. And while it can be useful for some people, and not only for some people that it can be useful, it might be useful for a time, for a season. I, I see this quite often where clients will come in and they get a great connection with their their counselor and then they just stay with them for like 10 years and Mm. that's not the way that's supposed to be like my job is to try to get you um get you healthy to where you don't need to talk to me anymore i I don't want to see you for 10 years um Mm. and i think it's kind of a spirit of pragmatism on the the counselor part if you if I just keep filing insurance claims on you year after year, that's good solid income. Um, and I don't, I don't intend to inflict, uh, you know, ill will or whatever on every counselor. Um, I think that's just kind of a natural thing. That's, hey, they're they're paying me money. Why should I not take their money? Yeah. And then again, on on the client side, it's well, this person's really knowledgeable. They're really helping me. I feel better when I talk to them. Why should I really? do anything else this this is working for me and there's just that spirit of dependence that is not not healthy when when i'm your counselor i'm not your friend i'm not hanging out with you on the weekends um 
I want you to have those relationships though. Um, so I, I guess my answer to your question is as, as a definite no, that not everyone needs counseling. And even mm-hmm. those that need it need to be careful that they're not honestly not elevating their counselor to the level of God that Amen. they can do yeah. no wrong. And I just need to listen to them the rest of my life because that's just yeah. not healthy. Yeah. I, I love the answer you gave because, you know, I was very conflicted, you know, with the whole counselor movement and people all flocking to, you know, speak to somebody. And, and, and maybe I'm wrong in this and you correct me, but I've always felt that scripture itself holds you us accountable. It does. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is, and this is, this is the practical side of me, the philosophical side of me, is that some people need someone to point out the things that they're unwilling to address. Mm-hmm. And some people need you to delegate and tell you what it is that you need to work on. And I think some of us are just not responsible enough to see the problem and address it and not be held accountable for it. And I feel like at least scripturally, you know, God gives us plenty of time. He's mercy. He's full of grace where there's something that's going on. He tells you, right, the conversation that God had with Cain before he murdered his brother Abel is that sin is knocking at the door, <laughs> mm-hmm. that you have to address this. And I think what makes God so grace, gracious, gracious and wonderful is he will point things out to you. Like, like I, I think about his conversation with Solomon when Solomon began sleeping with those women of the different idol gods. And he had, he said, Hey, you, you got to stop this, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's my version. Like you gotta, you gotta put that away. You you gotta stop that. And then when it gets out of control, God responds, right? So, I've always wondered about that because you know some people think that uh it's it's a requirement, and, and I can see the benefits of it in marriage. I can see the benefits of it, like you said, if you lost a loved one and you're just not very communicative, and getting somebody and sitting down and having the time to talk it out and facing it right because if you know I, let me ask you this question this is this is an interesting question when a person is struggling with things what do you think of the concept of people that just try to stay busy and never deal with their problems yeah that, that that's a great question um i this goes into just more of a, a more of a practical type of answer so the the 10 uh, the tendency when I'm dealing with something awful is I don't want to think about it because it's scary. It's, yeah. it's threatening. So I keep myself busy. And I like to point out to my clients when they're doing that. For one, I like to point out the benefit of what they're doing. And I even put that out in a situation where somebody's like drinking heavily. Uh, let's point out the benefit. And I don't say that to say you should keep doing that. Um, I say it because you're doing it for a reason. It, it's yeah. it's helping you in some sense. It's just not the healthiest sense that it's helping you. So somebody that's avoiding, it's helping them because I don't have to deal with the scary thing. That's great. Yeah. Um, but what's the downside? The downside mm-hmm. is still there. I, I, I can avoid it all I want, but it's still going to be there. And 
that's where I say for people, and this again, more practical, not as much um, if they are Christian, especially I would definitely point them more into the scriptures, but mm-hmm. say, okay, we're not going to be able to think about this scary, bad thing, whatever happened all day long. That's not good either. Um, so find some things to keep yourself going. Um, go do some yard work or clean or take a walk or whatever. That's fine. But you have to s- devote and spend some time working through whatever this issue is. A- and I tell them, too, that needs to be outside a session. Us talking about it in counseling, that's great. But I only see you for such a small amount of time throughout the week. So give yourself 10 minutes, 20 minutes, mm-hmm. half an hour, where you're journaling, where you're just thinking through whatever's going wrong, and at least recognize, recognizing this problem's here. And I might not have the answer right now, but I recognize it's here. And then the rest of the time, go back to distracting yourself. Go find some... Albeit not not drinking, find a healthier distraction, but almost giving them permission to distract, but not at the expense of not doing the work and, and not actually digging into what the problem is. If they're a Christian, I'm definitely going to recommend, uh, you know, what, what does scripture say about this? Are you mm. praying about it? Mm. Are you still going to church? Are, are you just running away from your spirituality? Um because yeah, that's going to affect your mental well-being. If you, if you know there's a problem and you're not praying about it, that that's not going to work out very well for you. So I'm going to really try to get them to focus on that issue, but not all day every day. So I want them to use their distractions, but use them in a healthier manner and not to just avoid whatever's going wrong. Mm-hmm. So speaking of, you mentioned that if you're you're talking to one who is a Christian, how much of your approach changes to those who aren't Christians? Because I I have a theory, right? And let me run the theory by you. There's a friend of mine that actually was a dorm advisor at the time. He ran all the dorms at the university at Albany. Mm -hmm. And he actually was a pastor. And now he's gone. His name is Charles Rogers. He's gone, actually into doing chaplain work. And he used to tell me, Jonathan, you know, when people come in and speak to me, I still provide them the scripture. I just don't tell them the chapter mm-hmm. and verse. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. change who I am. So that's what that's what I, I want to ask you. When, when you're dealing with one who isn't a believer, what is your approach and do you compromise or change anything? Yeah, no, that, that's a fantastic question. And I love that example. I, I would say by and large, that's kind of how I approach that. And there is there's some wisdom involved, um, depending on who my clientele is. Uh, if they are real resistant and they're upfront of resistant to any and all religion, I'm not going mm-hmm. to just say, oh, have you thought about going to church today? Um, that's probably not going <laughs> to build up that relationship yeah. very well. Mm-hmm. So, But there is strategic ways. And what I will say in this kind of goes into some of the topics we had before. I don't change. I'm not going for the person that comes to me and says, oh, well, you write me a uh, a letter so I can get this gender affirming care surgery or whatever. The answer is no. Like, it it doesn't matter if they are a a Christian or not in that situation. Those Uh values um, 
that faith that I have supersedes everything, whether that individual is a Christian or not, whether that's going to get me their business or not. Ultimately, that doesn't really matter because, again, the values, faith is above that. And so I I try to use wisdom. Um, I don't uh, come out and I'm not quite as explicit as I would be that someone that is a Christian that comes to my practice that says, hey, I want specifically Christian counseling. We're going to be more explicit. But the one that's not, um, yeah, I, I, I use very much the same type of value system. It's just not quite as explicit in the language um, that, of the client that I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. So here's a challenging question. Being married and being in your profession, how do you not take the approach you take as a counselor when you're talking to your wife? And does your wife recognize, like, don't do that to me like you do (laughs) with your clients? (laughs) What is your approach on that? What's your view on Uh, that? Good question. I I actually think that um, I probably benefited some in this regards that I was a counselor before I was married. So I had a little bit of practice. Uh, but before I met her, that mm-hmm. so my my first my first ca- full time counseling job, I made it this uh, kind of discipline of mine. So this job was a it was actually a home based one. So I was going and visiting uh, foster kids actually in their home, and mm-hmm. I had a rule that my last client when I came home, and some of these clients were late. Some of them were like eight o'clock in the evening. Some of them. It might be an early day and I'm done at one um, in, in the afternoon. But regardless, that last one, I was done. There, there was no more notes. There was no more studying. Um, I kind of just intellectually took off the counselor hat. And now I'm at the time, you know, I'm, I'm just a friend. I had roommates. We'd go watch a game or play a video game or whatever. But it was a very intentional role shift when I got home that I'm no longer a counselor. And that was really important for me because I was pretty, I was new at the time. I was inexperienced. And some of the things that I saw were, were difficult. And I knew if I didn't get a hold of that, then so it's going to overtake me and it's going to affect my relationships. I'm going to get into that bitterness, into that anger and apathy, like I talked about on my podcast, that was going to be me. And I really developed a good discipline of taking that hat on and off. And I'm not going to say I'm perfect at that now, but I think over the years, I really have just developed a good said good discipline there of yeah. when I'm done with that client, I am, I'm done. And yeah. I'll say when it comes to my wife, there are some times where, um, that counseling type of approach is sometimes where it can be beneficial um, because a lot of counseling is honestly just listening of kind of hearing out concerns. So um, there's times where that's some sometimes beneficial, but um, yeah, I, I just feel like that's not been as big of a struggle for me because of that first discipline I did from the get go. But it is a legitimate fear and concern that a lot of counselors go through. Okay. So it's only right that I ask you this. Do you believe counselors need a counselor? 
Yeah, that, that kind of goes back into, and this is a big philosophical debate. There's actually some counseling programs that require you to have a counselor. Mm. And I I do disagree with that. I think mm. that goes back into the mindset, does everybody need counseling? And do I think some counselors could absolutely benefit from it? Yes, I do. Especially mm. those more inexperienced counselors or... Yeah, you just, I mean, sometimes counselors have rough stuff. They might have a client yeah. that they had that that killed themselves. Like that, that's really hard to, to yeah. go through that. So in those situations, the counselor does need to be um, wise. They need to understand where is my emotional state at. And in fact, we do have ethical codes that, that if, if I had something really distressing happening in my life, and I am just kind of a wreck. Not only is it a good thing for me to get counseling or get treatment, it's actually unethical for me to not not to not get counseling, but to treat somebody when I'm a mess. Like if the client's saying something and I'm crying more than the client every five seconds, <laughs> I'm not going to be much help. Yeah. So I think in those situations that client or that counselor needs to be wise. But mm -hmm. if you're in a great frame of mind and things are going great, I don't care if you're a counselor or not. You don't need counseling in, in those time time periods. So I, I would definitely disagree with that. Okay. So how does faith impact your mental health? Well, I I think that it's faith impacts again, kind of that, that bigger sphere, it impacts everything. It impacts all of us. It impacts even our, our, our physical health to a degree just off yeah. of, um, you know, if we, we think our body's a temple and, and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it affects your mental health. Um, it, it, it affects everything. And I think that's something that particularly the um, more kind of extreme atheistic type of counselor or psychologist that, um, and, and I do have a, a segregation here. Mm -hmm. I can have a colleague that doesn't believe in God that I have quite a bit more respect for than a colleague that doesn't believe in God. And that becomes their religion of mm -hmm. basically they're trying to convert clients into, to not having faith. They might, yeah challenge a christian oh well do you really believe that and just all these things to almost try to actively get away from their faith and mm. that's wrong that's that's not your role by any means to to do that yeah. um mm -hmm. so i think that it's important for for individuals particularly christians to embrace that faith and realize if my spiritual health is off um my mental health is probably off and yeah, there's the temptation as a Christian counselor to just say, "Oh, well, just just pray it, and 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 you'll be fine." And mm -hmm. there is a uh, you know a, a degree there where yes, we do need to pray, but um, it's not always quite that simple. That I just say one prayer and now I have no pain. Like I don't need, I don't think that's biblical. You, you look through yeah. all the Psalms; they are crying out to God. Um, all these. Yeah awful, horrible things. Like it's not just a one pray and, and you're good to go. So we don't mm -hmm. want to um, make it too shallow, but there's this concept of, of spiritual depression. I actually read this book 
It's by uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. It's kind of a, a compilation of his of his sermons, and he has this great quote of saying that you need to instead of listening to yourself, you need to talk to yourself. And what he means by that is listening to yourself is, well, my dad died. I feel horrible. I'm depressed. It's never going to get any better. That's listening to yourself. Talking to yourself is really bringing that scripture, bringing that truth, and actively speaking that into your life, actively having others speak that into your life, instead of just listening to how horrible things are going in your life. So yeah. all that being said, like if you are a Bible-believing Christian and your spiritual life is completely out of whack, you're going to have mental health concerns, and, and we need to be able to address that uh, to to have improvement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, speaking from personal experience, I think one thing that helps is the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you feel it. That's yeah. <laughs> that's my experience. You do something you know you probably shouldn't have done. He lets you know about it. And I don't mean yep. for those practical people out there. There's a feeling, right? I, I always talk about Ezekiel 28, 38, about God giving you a new heart, a responsive heart. That responsive heart is very sensitive to the choices and decisions you make. And, and, and you know, and and I believe it's Mark when it talks about don't grieve. I believe it's in Galatians 2, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's really talking about like certain decisions and choices that you make that are counter to the kingdom of God message you'll know it you'll know it because it's going to take you a while before you shake it off you're going to feel it so i think that's the big difference between the believer and unbeliever the believer once we've agreed and accepted christ as lord of our lives you know unfortunately there are things that we do that once we're saved we're going to be convicted of and that whole conviction process is for us to get out of those certain habits into better habits that aren't is not reflecting what we agree to be a part of and i guess for those who don't know it happens to do with not being held accountable and not accepting christ into your life so you can run rapid you can you know make choices where you don't feel guilty about and i always say for us as conviction is a difference between conviction and guilt the guilt is what they feel when they say, oh, the, you know, don't don't throw that in my face. I'm not that. And it's true. If you're not a believer, then, of course, not being a believer means you don't understand those sensitive topics and choices and how it, it really plays a role and how it can affect you negatively. Mm-hmm. But for us, the conviction is it forces us to repent. And and even in the repentance aspects, the repentance is not just asking for forgiveness. It's to change behavior God is employing us to act and, and do. And that's not always easy, right? Mm-hmm. It, you know, when God said that he breathed the breath of life in us, we originally were the dust of the earth, right? No value, no significance, nothing. And God wants to stand above the soles of our feet, become who he believed he created us to be. And part of doing that is taking accountability and, and making life choices for your for the betterment of not just your mental health, but for relationship, right? I would say this. In First John, it says, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. 
If we claim to be in fellowship with him, but yet walk in the darkness, we do not live out the truth. For that's our relationship. Our fellowship is associated with walking in light. And if he's called us to be holy as he is, then that also plays a role in, in us making changes. And those changes are either going to be a part of our growth and development, or it's going to be something that ails us and keeps us from getting God's best, right? Getting access yeah. to what God wants to do for us. So that lends me to ask you this question. What is it important? What is it, you know, why is it important to you to be open with your values? Yeah, it's, it, it kind of just leads into some of the other stuff that we've, we've talked about that mm. my values are not, they're not important because I hold them. I, I can value, um, I can value my, my car, my truck or whatever. Um, and that holds value to me because it means something to me. It, it, it's, it's got some worth because I gave it that worth, but it's a hunk of metal. Like it, it's really, yeah. it's really nothing in the grand scheme of things. And that's really, as, as long as those values come just from me, um, yeah. It's really kind of nothing um, that that doesn't mean that much. So my values alone are important. It's where they're derived from. And I'm not going to say that all of my values are 100% correct. I learn and grow every day. And there's probably some things that I need to get better at, at what I value. But uh-huh. the important things, my faith... Um, they It's not important because of I believe it. It's because of God. It's because... He made this world, and it's his rules that we're playing by. And that's important for me to communicate and not just have a, you know, well, it's more expedient for me to just be quiet and not really open up. Like, maybe maybe want gender-affirming care. I just won't really deal with it, but I'm not going to say anything. Um, I could do that, but... Is that really what I need to be doing? Do I have a platform where I can actually speak truth um, and and help cause some changes here? So again, I say these values, that's not important because I'm important or my my viewpoints are the best. Um, it's because of Christ. Um, I, I want everything in my life to point back to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what you said is beautiful because, you know, when we put value into things, you know, Jesus made it clear, like, don't build your wealth here where moth and dust collects. <laughs> he says, build it in heaven, right? Or or even when we, you know, people in this preparation of stacking, whether in the scripture where it talks about building another vineyard to hold most of your stuff, you know, God puts people in power and he removes them. And God in Ecclesiastics gives people the entitlement to enjoy their wealth while in others, it dwindles and, and people die and wealth gets transferred, right? So as long as we understand that the access to whether it's fame, fortune, a lot of that is done because God wants to use you as his instrument for righteousness. And yeah. if and you know if he's going to do that, he has to trust you, and he has to know that the values that you that he instilled in you come out. Your Christian values come out in the things that you have, that you're not just being selfish and you're not just being about you, right? Don't just pray about what your concerns are. Be concerned about 
the issues that are with other people, right? And and I think that you know this idea of selflessness is something that we we probably need to raise the value of because you know we're, we're also in this age of you know self care about me, everything that's happening for me, and and I gotta make sure this this, this you know. I kind of want to tap into this too. When we when we talk about love, we understand that God is love. We also understand love is to give at the expense of oneself to benefit the one who is to receive it. And and we get that example uh, from Christ giving Himself up for ransom for us. And you know the two most important commandments: love your neighbor as yourself, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength this application for love has to do with loving others before you love yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't realize that by loving others, God can love through you. So this desire for self-love, you know, the desire for self-love is not a problem, but when you're only concerned about yourself and not about others, that goes against why God wants us to love others and care for others because in return, not only is he going to do the loving through you, but you're loved by him. And I think, you know, it's just the ideas, new, you know, ideologies that (laughs) people keep coming up with and, and injecting it into society is causing people to have identity crisis. You know? So like when you, when you see some of these things and, I guess I can ask you this. What would you say is a frequent concern that you come across with most? And I'm not asking you to, you know, share any personal, you know, client, you know, information, but generally what would you say is of your most concern? And and hopefully by the end that we can try to pray for and hope that these things can be uplifted. Yeah. I I think that that self-care movement is a big one. And a lot of it is just a fundamental uh, just misunderstanding of uh, of what selfishness is and what humility is. Mm-hmm. I, some people will go in and say like, man, I've just I put other people above me my whole life. I need to work on me. And well, really what they mean in most of these cir- circumstances is I'm constantly doing things for other people. I'm a mom. I'm taking care of all my kids stuff. And then I'm doing stuff at work. And then I'm doing taking care of things for my friends. Um, and I don't have any time to myself. And I get what they're saying. And there is an extent there where if we're going to use that terminology of self-care, of self-love, that those aspects are healthy for that individual. The problem is just our underpinnings, our our understanding of what's going wrong. When those individuals, most of the time, I don't think they all have a very uh, evil heart of trying to just... um, have the intention of being selfish in those situations, but mm-hmm. it kind of sounds sounds weird to say, but oftentimes when you're doing so much for other people, that actually can be a more selfish thing to do than to have a night not at home and, and take care of yourself. Here's what I mean by that, that if I'm so busy doing things for other people, just because I'm 
I have a hard time saying no. Um, and I'm neglecting other parts of my life that are more important. Like for me, I, I love my friends. I spend time with my friends. But if I've had a long week at work, my role is more important at home to spend time with my family. So if my friends want to go out and there's that conflict, me saying yes to them, I'm actually saying no to my, I'm saying no to my family. I'm not telling them that. But there's this conflict of roles, conflict of values going on there. And that's really what's at the heart of the problem there with people that are overextending themselves. They have a hard time saying no to that person, but they're saying no to something else in their life. And that actually can be a form of selfishness because you're not you're not doing the hard thing of telling somebody no that is maybe not a zero priority, but a lesser priority to something you should already be doing. And essentially, we just don't want to have conflict in those situations. And that really does get to, to selfishness. If I don't want to say no to you because I don't want to deal with conflict, that's not humility. That, that, that really is a form of selfishness. So we need to be able to have those correct definitions and correct terminology because now that's all of a sudden flipping on its head. And if I had a really rough week or whatever, and my friend, my, my coworker, or this event, they really want my help. But I realized, look, I, I want to help you. I, I don't intend anything rude by this, but I know if I don't go home tonight and really rest, I'm not going to be as fruitful of a of a mother, of, of a father, of, of whatever. So I'm going to have to decline. That is so different than saying, I got to put myself first. I got to self-love <laughs> myself to death. You mm-hmm. might be doing the same actions, but Mm-hmm. The language there is so important. So I think that's just so incredibly important for people that are feeling overwhelmed. Why are you feeling overwhelmed? And what's your motivation there? You're not God. Like we we are called to help others, yes. But we're not God. We have limitations. So recognizing your limitations, that actually could be a humble thing of realizing I'm yeah. tapped out. That that actually can be a more humble thing than throwing yourself into everything and everything. But yeah, yeah we start using that language of self-love and, and self-care, even though I don't think those all have horrible intentions, it mm-hmm. can turn to selfishness very quickly. And we just need to be very yeah. cautious on that. Yeah, that's good. That's that. I think you hit the nail on the coffin. And I think, like you said, I think so often it's the terminology that we're using and the way that we're coming off. And I think if we worded it better and we included some of the circumstances, I think people would be more empathetic of what it is that you're, you're, you're sharing with them. Right. And yeah. I'm a big proponent of separating the two, the empathetic aspect versus the sympathetic aspect, because anyone who takes in consideration the history along with how things have gone so far, I think they have a better understanding of the the, the view that you're coming with, and therefore mm-hmm. they'd be more welcoming and understanding. Versus, if you're you're speaking from a place of of being sympathetic, and automatically they assume that you assume that you're at a different place than they are, and therefore as a result, you have to just accept what it is that I'm saying 
because this is not the place you're at now. So yeah, I think the way you worded it was perfect. Uh, is there anything else that you, you feel like sharing that's on your heart, that's on your mind that you think could benefit the audience? Yeah, I, I, w- I would really just say by and large that oftentimes, you know, like you're saying, that 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 conviction, the Holy Spirit's convicting me about something. Oftentimes, you do know a direction that either you should be going or, or at least that you should dig in a little bit deeper. So I would encourage you that if those things are going on, don't don't ignore it. Um, don't run away from it. Talk to your pastor, talk to your spouse, pray about it, and then then do. Don't don't wait. Um, this kind of goes in, into my my podcast, some of the things we talk about. Don't wait to have it all figured out. Like, yes, we do need to pray about it, be wise, but we're not called to have everything all figured out and then act. Like we're we're called mm-hmm. to have faith. When you know that direction you should be going, go and do it. If you're wrong, mm-hmm. let's go back and correct it. But don't yeah. sit there in fear and just passivity. Um, go and do. We are just not called to sit back and wait wait for God to take us, and then we just go home. Like We're, we're called to be active <laughs> on this earth. So uh, yeah. I, I would just mm-hmm. really encourage everybody to be active mm-hmm. and don't run away from those things that you don't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was something that I did, an episode I did, and I said, you want to have concerns and not worries, because mm-hmm. the concerns are fixable. The worries yeah. is what t- then starts to tap into your psyche, and then you get to a point where you're fearful, right? We know that we're beautifully, wonderfully made. We know that God did not call us, you know, we're not supposed to experience the, the spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. Mm-hmm. And and I'm a big proponent of, of addressing the concerns because they're still salvageable. When it, like you said, once it gets past that stage, that worry turns into fear and that fear mm-hmm. turns into actions and choices that are detrimental to your growth and development. And you want to avoid those things. You don't want to get to a degree where now it's it's seeping into other areas in your life and they're you're, you're sacrificing and, and it's yeah. and it's interfering with your character. You don't want those things. So, yeah, tell my audience, uh, and man, I would love to have you on because we could talk for hours. Like, there's, there's so <laughs> many different topics and yeah. points we can discuss. And I think these conversations are healthy, and I believe we're both doing that. So to tell my audience, you know, where they can reach you, your podcast, your information, your business, yeah, put it all out. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So start with my business, uh, Truth and Grace Counseling. So again, I'm in I'm in Duncan, Oklahoma. So those that are in that area, I actually meet at my at my church to see clients there. But I also do telehealth throughout Oklahoma and Texas. So that website is uh, www.truthandgracecounseling.com. Um, and then my uh, my podcast. So it's uh, Said it's really just in the midst of rebranding, rebranding, but that's faithfullyengaged.com. Um, I'm also there on Twitter. I've uh, let me think about this for a second because faithfully engaged wouldn't fit. Um, it's faithful engaged um, at faithful engaged there on Twitter. Um, so that's kind of Twitter is kind of the main place where I will engage um, with people in. But um, yeah, those are the main spots to come and find me. And any listeners that want to add me or follow me, um, I, I would I would welcome to it. Mm-hmm. Any Instagram 
I do have an Instagram. Um, I'm a little bit, uh, well, so here's, here's the concern since I'm in the, the midst of, uh, changing up my, uh, my branding it's under truth and grace counseling right now, but Mm -hmm. when this airs, it'll probably be under faithfully engaged. So search one of the two and you you will find it um and then uh facebook actually i'm glad you mentioned that because literally last night i just made a a faithfully engaged facebook and then there's a truth and grace counseling facebook there as well okay yeah because we we have a a facebook group called i'm believer and it's just there to motivate and it's off of romans 112 let us be mutually encouraged by one another's faith so that's where we are so you know you want to give people access because we don't want to just, and I'm a proponent of this on any podcast that I go on, you don't want to just pop on a podcast and then if someone's really interested in talking, they have no access to you. They don't want to talk yeah. to you. They want, they, they, you know, people think that you, you're viewing them like I'm a pastor or I'm a person of God, but you can't talk to me, but the value <laughs> that I provide, you can hear me, but there's no way we could talk at, at any stage at any moment. So we want to yeah. try to employ that and give people access to 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 step in to where you, they believe God is calling, and sometimes, you know, we're in waiting places where God is working on us and developing us. Like we live our lives on levels, we arrive in stages, and it happens in seasons. And sometimes, you know, these things take time, right? That's why the quality of your thinking can determine the quality of your life. And in order to get on that path, right, it takes time. And yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with development and taking time. Just like as you stated, knowing you have the problem and working towards the solution. Oh, absolutely. Actually, there is one question that I, I, yeah. I'm curious to ask. And I've always I've always been a proponent of this. And I want to get your thoughts before we close out in prayer. I'm a big proponent and believer of confrontation. And I understand how that sounds. But the reason yeah. why I believe I'm a big proponent of confrontation, because confrontation, when you get into it, the goal is to some extent lead to a solution. There has mm-hmm. to be a solution from the confrontation. And most people, when they encounter confrontation, they immediately you know, reject the, the conflict, right? And I'm like, I'm saying to myself, I'm kicking myself. I didn't ask you this earlier. So when you... When you deal with people that have these periods of conflict in relationships and friendships and in any sort of engagement acquaintances, how should a person view the conflict that they just got into it? Yeah, uh, great, great question. And I, I'll kind of give you a couple stories here. One, okay. I was in I was in college and I had this uh, marriage and family class and the professor he kind of like had to, he, he liked shock value type of things. And he said that he had this family client um, or this uh, marriage counseling uh, situation. And he said that he encouraged this couple to fight in front of their children or, or to have an argument in front of their children. And of course, all the classes just stunned silence. Like, what are you talking about? That, that sounds like a horrible idea. And then he kind of walked it back a little bit and explained what he meant was he wanted them to be able to engage in conflict in a health, such a healthy way that they could do that in front of their children in order that their children would learn how to deal with conflict in a healthier way. And that was just kind of a mind-blowing moment for me of, 
oh, like that makes sense. As, as parents, we want our children to learn things from us. And if we're keeping all arguments behind closed doors, how are they going to learn? How, how are they going to know to have confrontation? So I share this with, a, with this is a more personal example of how confrontation can be helpful, like you were saying. Early on in our marriage, um, my wife and I uh, were, were, by and large, we didn't have too many arguments. Um, but of course, I, I mentioned before, I, I was single for some time uh, after grad school and, and working. So living with other bachelors, uh, if I threw the socks in the dirty hamper and it made it in great, if it didn't, whatever, like it's all still all a bunch of dudes. We didn't really care. And so I developed some of these bad habits and there was a time that my wife stopped me and she's like, Hey, Johnny, when you put dirty clothes and, and the dirty or dirty socks in the, the clothes hamper, just actually put them in there and don't put them into a ball. Just put them in there. And it's not like it was rocket science. I mean, I knew that's what you're supposed to do. I just was a single dude for all these years and didn't think about it. And that was that. Like, I said, okay. And now we don't have that argument anymore. Um, I, I consciously tried to do that. But had she not brought that up, had we not had that confrontation, who knows? This That could have built in with her individually. She could have gotten really angry at me. I would have had no not, no idea. And now I'm angry at her. And it would have gotten worse. That confrontation was actually a really loving, healthy thing that my wife did. And I'm very glad that she did. So mm. the issue is how we handle conflict, not conflict itself. Um, and I think that's really important that everybody understands. All right. Beautiful. Thanks so much for, for touching on that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Johnny uh, Sanders. So, if you don't mind uh, praying us out. A- absolutely. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, this, thank you so much for uh, for your love that you give us, that uh, nobody here, nobody listening, um, n- none of us on this earth deserve to have, but you give it to us anyways. And we're so incredibly thankful and gracious for that love that you give us. Um, I really pray for this conversation that we had today. I pray for the listeners that they would grasp something from this, that they would learn something from this. If either of us had misspoke or we we misrepresented scripture in a way, I, I pray for conviction on either of our parts, knowing that it was not intentional, but still that we um, learn and grow and, and that we learn and grow from your scripture. And I pray for those that are in the audience that they would hold your scripture highly, that they would read it not out of a, uh, a, a religious devotion just to do it, but to learn more about you and, and to learn and to grow. And I, I pray for any of those that are struggling, whether it's a mental health concern or, or spiritual concern, that they would not run away from that, but that they would handle it head on. And if they need to talk to somebody about it, great. And I pray that you give them the, the the courage to do so. But if they know the answers they need to do and they're not doing it, I pray for conviction that, that they would just get it done. I'm so grateful for this for this podcast for this uh, for this talk of being able to speak about your truth um, on podcast where there's many podcasts that are not that way. And again, we're just so grateful for again for that that love that you give us. In your name, I pray. Amen.